turning in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 11 this morning. Genesis chapter 11, and I'm going to read verse 27. Now these are the generations of Terah. Terah begat Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran begat Lot. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, we thank You this morning for Your goodness and for Your faithfulness. We thank You that we do not need any other argument and that we don't need any other plea. We thank You that it is enough that Jesus died and that He died for me. And we pray that the testimony of each one here is that our hearts are leaning on Your Word. That we're looking nowhere else for a foundation. We thank You for Your goodness and Your mercy and Your care and keeping uh, through this storm. We pray for those who have lost family and property that You would use these things to speak to hearts of people and to cause us to praise You for Your care and kindness to us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning in our studies of the days of Lot that we are seeking to bring to a close, We want to continue looking at the man for whom these days are named. And that is Lot. And they're named for him because the Lord Jesus is telling us in Luke chapter 17 that it is Lot, not Abraham, who will characterize and illustrate the lives that believers will be living in the last days. Believers who like who live like Abraham will be the exception. Believers who live like Lot will be the rule. And the Lord has put them here so that we can examine ourselves. So that we can see which one of these men characterizes our lives as we live in these last days. Last week we talked about the place where Lot was born. He was born, as we see in verse 28, in Ur of the Chaldees, or rather in verse 27, in Ur of the Chaldees. Ur, as we mentioned, was part of the ancient Sumerian civilization. And it was the most powerful city-state in that civilization. It was a place of idolatry. We know that from the archaeological record But far more importantly, we know it from the biblical record. Turn over for just a minute to Joshua chapter 24, if you will. Joshua chapter 24. I think we mentioned this chapter last week, but we didn't actually look at it. But we want to look at a couple of verses here. 
Joshua chapter 24 and verse 1. And Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and called for the elders of Israel and for their heads and for their judges and for their officers. And they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said unto all the people, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Your fathers dwelt on the other side of the flood in old time, even Terah, the father of Abraham, and the father of Nacor, and they served other gods. This is Joshua's last message to the children of Israel. And he's recounting their history as a nation. And their history begins on the other side of the flood in old time. On the other side of the flood, as Dr. Henry Morris points out, would be a reference to the floodplain of the river Euphrates, on the other side of which was Ur of the Chaldees. And Joshua tells the people of Israel, and he tells us, that Ur was a place where other gods were served. And he tells them that their fathers... Even Terah, the father of Abraham and the father of Nacor, served these other gods. And this word serve not only tells us that Terah and his family were worshippers of these other gods, they labored for them and served as subjects to them. So Lot was born in a place of idolatry. He was born in a place of great wickedness. And he was born into a family that was part of this idolatrous system. Into a family that served these other gods. There's a verse in the New Testament that comes to mind as we think about the situation in Ur. It's Romans 5 and verse 20 where Paul says, But where sin abounded, and it abounded in Ur, Where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That was true in Ur of the Chaldees. In that city where sin abounded, in that city where other gods were not only worshipped, but they were served, people were subject to them. In that city where the evidence suggests that their system of worship ultimately included the offering of human sacrifices. In that city where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Because it was in this city of Ur that Terah and Abraham and Nahor and Lot heard the message of salvation and trusted the Lord Jesus Christ, the coming Lamb of God, as their Savior. Now how do we know that? Well, Turn over to Acts chapter 7, if you will, for just a minute. Acts chapter 7. In Acts chapter 7, we have one of the most important sermons in all the Word of God. It was preached by Stephen just before he was martyred. And through this sermon, the Spirit of God sheds tremendous light on several Old Testament passages. Look at Acts chapter 7 and verse 1. 
Then said the high priest, Are these things so? And he said, that Stephen said, Men, brethren, and fathers, hearken. The God of glory appeared unto our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he dwelt in Charon. And said unto him, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred, and come into the land which I shall show thee. The grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. It appeared to Terah and Abraham and Terah's family there in Ur of the Chaldees. And Abraham and Terah and Lot and Nahor trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. And what we want to notice here is this order in verse 2. The God of glory appeared unto our father Abraham. He appeared to him when he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in Charon or Haran. He appeared to him in Ur of the Chaldees. That's what we were just talking about. The grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. Where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. This is where Abraham got saved. And it's here that God called him. It's here that God called him. We see that call in verse 3. And said unto him, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred, and come into the land which I will I shall show thee. Now that's not a call to salvation. That is a call to service. God never calls a man to service before he has first saved that man. God never calls a man or a woman or a young person to service before that person has humbled their heart. And come to God as a sinner, lost and hopeless. And cast themselves upon the only one who can save. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. God will never reverse that order. It has and is and ever will be salvation, then service. Men confuse that order. Satan will confuse that order. Our own deceitful hearts will try to reverse that order. Your own deceitful heart will try to convince you that service equals salvation. But it doesn't. God will never call you to any service, big or small, until you're saved. And so if God is calling Abraham to service there in Mesopotamia, He's calling him in Ur of the Chaldees. He's calling him in the place where he got saved, where his father Terah was saved, and his brother Nahor, and his nephew Lot. And the question that is intriguing to think about is who was preaching the gospel there? We know there was a preacher. We know there was a preacher. Romans 10 and verse 13 says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, shall be saved. And then beginning in verse 14, Paul asked the following four questions concerning that. 
He says, how then shall they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in Him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? And then the rest of verse 15 says, How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. God sent a preacher to Ur of the Chaldees. A a, a preacher of the gospel of peace. How the Lord Jesus Christ one day would make peace through the blood of His cross. A preacher who brought glad tidings of good things. The message of the gospel. That's how Terah and his family heard the message of salvation. That's how they called upon the name of the Lord and were saved. And the question is, who's the preacher? Well, there's an answer to that, I believe. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 11. Genesis chapter 11. And notice verse 10. These are the generations of Shem. Shem was a hundred years old and begat Arphaxad two years after the flood. We've mentioned a number of times that some of the most important chapters in the Bible are the genealogy chapters. Probably some of the most overlooked, but they're some of the most important. And it's like that because they give us little bits of information, little bits of information that allow us to connect big pieces of information. Now, I'm not a real great putter together of puzzles. That, that's not my idea of a good time. But I know there are people that love to do it. But in watching my wife work with puzzles, sometimes you've got these big pieces and you know they fit together, but there's these little pieces that you've got to have in order to get them to fit. Well, that's how I think about the genealogy chapters. They're, They're little bits of information that we can take from them and connect Big pieces of information. In the verses that we just read, or in the the verse, this 10th verse, we're given some little bits of information about Shem. We're told that Shem was 100 years old two years after the flood. And we've talked before, if you trace uh, time through the genealogy in Genesis chapter 5, you're measuring time from the creation And what you find is that the flood occurred in the year 1656 from creation. So if Shem is 100 years old, two years after the flood, and the flood occurred in 1656, then he was 100 years old in 1658. That means he was born in 1558. Now look at verse 11. 
And Shem lived after he begat Arphaxad 500 years and begat sons and daughters. So Shem was 100 years old when Arphaxad was born. He lived 500 years after he begat Arphaxad. So he lived a total of 600 years. So if you take the year that he was born, 1558, and you add the 600 years that he lived, then you come up with the year of his death. He died in the year 2158. And that little bit of information is important because if you continue to trace time through Genesis chapter 11, you'll find that Terah was born in 1878. And when you put Genesis 11 and 12 together, we'll talk about that in just a few minutes, you'll find that Abraham was born in the year 2008 from creation. And so Shem was alive for all of Terah's life. Terah died in the year 2083. Shem was alive when Haran was born. He was alive when Nahor was born. He was alive for the first 150 years of Abraham's life. And that little bit of information about Shem allows us to connect some big pieces of information. Because you see, Shem knew a man by the name of Methuselah. Methuselah died in the year 1656. He died the year of the flood. In fact, that, that's what his name means. When he dies, it shall come. For the first 98 years of Shem's life, he knew Methuselah. He was able to talk with Methuselah, to learn from Methuselah. And that's important because Methuselah knew Adam. Methuselah was born in the year 687, and Adam didn't die until the year 930. So for 243 years, Methuselah knew and had, <clears throat> could, could walk and talk and learn from Adam. And what did he learn? He learned the gospel. He learned the gospel. He learned that without shedding of blood is no remission of sin. Methuselah learned from Adam about the Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, who one day was going to come and go to the cross of Calvary. From Adam, Methuselah heard the words of Genesis 3.15. How the seed of the woman, that's the virgin birth, would bruise the head of the serpent... And how that this woman's seed would have his heel bruised. That's a prophecy about the death of the Lord Jesus. The death he would die on the cross. And, and it's a prophecy of his resurrection. A bruised heel was a temporary wound. Three days later, the Lord Jesus would rise from the dead. But it was a death blow to Satan. But that's not all that Methuselah knew because he, he knew his own father. His father was Enoch. Enoch was a prophet. And we can read his prophecy uh, over in the book of Jude. If You don't have to turn over there if you like. You can turn to Jude. It's, just, uh, it's a book that has only one chapter. It's right before the last book in the Bible, the book of the Revelation. And in Jude, and verse 14, we read, And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these sayings, 
prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of His saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against Him. Enoch, Methuselah's father, is prophesying about the return of the Lord Jesus with his saints. That's after the tribulation, just prior to the millennium. Events that you and I don't read about until Revelation chapter 19. Methuselah knew these things from his father Enoch. There's something else that Methuselah knew from his father Enoch. He didn't understand it. He didn't understand it. But he knew that it was possible to be translated and not see death. Because that's exactly what happened to his father Enoch. Methuselah knew that God could take people. What do we call that? Rapture. He knew that he, God could take people, rapture them, if you will, out of this world. Now again, he didn't understand it. Because as these saints looked forward, they could see the mountain of the cross, and they could see the mountain of um, what... Enoch was prophesying of the time when the Lord Jesus would come with His saints. What they could not see was the valley between those two mountains, which is the age that we're living in, the church age. They couldn't see that. But I just, I'd like to ask him, Methuselah, what he thought about that when his father was taken out of the world. So he's an incredibly important man. Not because he, he lived for 969 years, but because he was a living copy of the Word of God. He was a preacher of the old time gospel. How that the Lord Jesus would go to the cross of Calvary. He would take our place there as the lambs took Adam and Eve's place. His blood would be shed that we might have life. He would rise again. He would come again in power and glory. It's the old time gospel that Methuselah knew from Adam and Enoch. And it's the gospel that he preached to a young man by the name of Shem. That's incredible when you stop and think about it. Because we're looking at a time when the Word of God was not written on earth. It was written in heaven. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. We read in Psalm 119. But it's not going to be written on earth for 2,500 years. And so it was passed on by word of mouth from generation to generation. And we might think that there would be confusion and distortion and adding to and taking from the message with all of these different people over 2,500 years passing on the Word of God. But it wasn't like that. Think about it. Think about it. Did you know there were only 
uh, three people, two people, between Lot and Abraham and Adam. From a genealogical standpoint, there were thousands. But from the standpoint of the transmission of the Word of God, the preservation of the Word of God, there were only two. Shem and Methuselah. The message was being preached by thousands of people. We read about them in Genesis chapter 5. But the line of preservation of the Word of God was very small and very narrow and very singular. Adam, Methuselah, Shem, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. Seven men. And we're down to the time of Moses when the Word of God was first written. The line of proclamation was great. The line of preservation was very small. That's the principle of Psalm 68 and verse 11. The Lord gave the Word. That's the line of preservation. Great was the company of those that published it. That's still true today. The line of preservation of the Word of God is very small, very narrow, very singular. It's not the hundreds of versions out there in the market that are, 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 are flooding the world today. It's this one singular book, the King James Bible. The Word of God preserved for you and me. And here we find the same old-time gospel message that Shem believed and preached in the city of Ur. It's the old-time gospel message that Abram heard in that city. It's the old-time gospel message that he believed. It's the gospel that Terah and Nahor and Lot heard and believed. From the preacher, how shall they hear without a preacher? They heard it from the preacher that God sent to the city of Ur. I believe that's Shem. Let's go to look at verse 26 of Genesis chapter 11. And Terah lived 70 years and begat Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Now, the order in this verse would seem to suggest that Abram is the oldest son of Terah, followed by Nahor and, and Haran. But that's not the way it is. Verse 32 of this chapter tells us, And the days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Chapter 12 and verse 4 and Acts chapter 7 and verse 4 tell us that Abram left Haran when his father Terah died. And Genesis 12, 4 tells us that Abram was 75 years old when his father died. So if you take Terah's age at his death, 205, and you subtract Abram's age at that point, 75, then you'll get Terah's age when Abram was born. He was 130. And so in verse 26 of Genesis chapter 11, Terah's first son was born when he was 70 
So that could not be Abraham. He was born when Terah was 130. So the order here in verse 26 is reversed. It's given from the youngest to the oldest. Haran was the oldest son. He was born in the year 1948 from creation. Which means that Lot was probably born around 1979. 29 years or so before Abram was born. But nearly 180 years before Shem died. Shem is is an incredibly important person here in the Old Testament. He is the link between pre-flood believers and post-flood believers. Shem is the preacher in Ur of the Chaldees. Terah and his family heard the message there in that city. This city of idolatry. This city that where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. And there in Ur of the Chaldees, Terah and his family turned to God from idols. They turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Turning to God from idols to serve the living and true God is repentance. Repentance. They trusted the Lord Jesus as their Savior. All of them but one. All of them but one. And that's Herod, Lot's father. Look at verse 28. And Haran died before his father Terah and the land of his nativity in Ur of the Chaldees. I believe that Haran was cut off. His life ended early. Typically, children do not, do not die before their parents. One of the things, of all the things I remember about my dad's passing was my grandmother, his mother, coming. And there at the funeral home before we went in to have the service, she came and she looked at my daddy and she said, My baby. My baby. And I've I've thought about those words many, many times because what she was saying was, my baby is not supposed to die before I do. Parents are supposed to die before their children die. That's the, the, the natural order that we think of. But Heron died before his father in the land of his nativity in Ur of the Chaldees. That's not natural. It's out of the ordinary. As the firstborn, Heron should have been the heir of his father. He should have been the one to carry on the, the family name. He should have been in the genealogy of the Lord Jesus Christ. But he rejected the message. He rejected the preaching of the old-time gospel, the preaching of the blood of Christ, the preaching of the cross. It was foolishness to him. Heron would not lay down his his idols and start serving other gods. And his life was cut off. He died before his father, Terah, 
in the land of His nativity. This 28th verse is, is another example, and we come across them uh, over and over again. Examples of how the Spirit of God gives us additional information in a verse. He could have just said, and Haran died before his father Terah in Ur of the Chaldees. And we would have understood that there was something wrong in Haran's life. But we would not have understood what was wrong in Haran's life. And that's the message that we need to see. What was wrong in his life? That's why the Spirit of God adds these words of detail. He died in the land of his nativity. He died in the land of his nativity. This word nativity means birth. But it also means the circumstances of birth. And the Lord tells us about the land of Haran's birth. He tells us about his nativity. He tells us about our nativity. The Lord tells us about the circumstances of our birth. And what are the circumstances of our birth? Psalm 51 and verse 5. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. In John 8 and verse 44, the Lord Jesus said, Ye are of your father the devil, and the lusts of your father ye will do. That is the circumstances of our birth. This is the land of Haran's nativity. This is the land of our nativity. And his need was, and our need is, to have a new nativity. Our need is to have a new birth. Our need is to be born again. Exactly what the Lord Jesus told Nicodemus. Ye must be born again. Heron was born in trespasses and sins. Dead in trespasses and sins. He was born without Christ. Having no hope and without God in the world. And yet God commended His love toward Heron. God sent him a preacher with the message of life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. This is the message that Shem was preaching in Ur of the Chaldees. And what these words in verse 28 in the land of his nativity are telling us is that Haran rejected that message. Haran had one birth. He had a natural birth. He rejected the new birth. And so he died where he was born. Haran died before his father in the land of his nativity in Ur of the Chaldees. He died where he was born. He died in the condition in which he was born. He died before his father in the land of his nativity. 
Proverbs 29 and verse 1 says, He that being often reproved hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed and that without remedy. Aaron rejected the message of the gospel. Preached by Shem, he hardened his neck and he was suddenly destroyed and that without remedy. And so in the city of Ur, Terah and Abraham and Lot and Nahor believed the message of the old time gospel. Have you believed that message? Have you believed that the Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, went to the cross of Calvary to bear your sins in His own body? There's no other way of salvation. Lord willing, we're going to talk about that tonight. There is no other way of salvation other than this old time gospel that's been preached now for nearly 6,000 years. The message has never changed. It never will change. And you've heard it. Perhaps for many years. Heron, I believe, heard it for many years. He was born over 200 years before Shem died. And I believe that he heard that message over and over and over again. But the other gods that he served, the other gods that he served were more important to him. And you know the other god that is the most important in every life. The one that is first and foremost above all the other gods. It's ourselves. It's ourselves. Heron was not willing to lose his life so that he might be born again and receive the life of the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. He is an example of someone who saved his life. The one that he was born with in the land of his nativity and he lost his life and his soul forever. Maybe there are some herons in this service today. If that's your condition, you need to be born again. Lest being often reproved, you harden your neck and you are suddenly destroyed without remedy. And you die in the land of your nativity. Right now, Right where you are, you need to believe the old time gospel. Just like Lot did. You need to deny yourself and trust the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior and be born again and come forth from the land of your nativity into newness of life. Newness of life. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank You that You've given us one more opportunity to look into Your Word together today. To be reminded again that there is no other argument. There is no other plea. The only way of salvation is the truth of the Gospel. That Jesus died for me. He died for everyone in this room. And He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. 
And the truth of that is the time and time and time again that people are allowed to hear the message of the gospel, to have the opportunity to be born again, to come out of the land of their nativity, to come out of the dead of their trespasses and sins and come into newness of life. We pray that you would speak to any here who are lost today. That right now in this moment, they would surrender their hearts to you. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.